Hi, I'm Tim Gillespie, and this is the Crosswalk Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you are one of our regular listeners, we are so glad you choose to journey with us, and we pray every single message inspires you and helps you to become the person God intended you to be, and of course, to love well. If you are already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you have not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that right now. Go to crosswalkvillage.com give and give a one-time gift, or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Crosswalk. And you can do that from wherever you're listening from. What is incredible about Crosswalk is that we have givers who don't live here in Southern California or near any of our other campuses, but support the work of Crosswalk from Southern California to the ends of the earth. Thank you for considering this. And now, listen to the message. My hope is you will allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. What's happening, Crosswalk? Morning, everybody. Morning, morning. You can clap. It's all right. We're happy we're here. It's a good thing. Yeah. I'm not assuming you're clapping for me. I'm just clapping for the general clappiness of it. Um, welcome. Good to be here. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to all of our people from Portland who are not at church in Portland this week. The canceled church in Portland. I was like, you can do that? But it's going to snow like seven inches today in Portland. Yeah, I know. Snow. It's when water gets really cold and it goes all over the ground. Um, the, the funny thing is, you know how you are when it rains? That's how they are when it snows. Don't get on the roads, from what I understand. So, um, yes, I did sneak in an insult to you, and I apologize. It's almost like you were like, huh, did he say what I said? I did. Um, <laughs> So sorry about that. We're in our second week of, um, of our new wine series, second week of the year, which is really exciting. And I know I've mentioned this before um, a couple weeks ago when I was kind of doing the wrap-up, but one thing I want you to be praying about right now is that our second series is called The Invitation, and it's a seven-week series leading us up to Easter. And I really want you to be thinking and praying and asking God's guidance on who it is that might be open to study with you, might be open to kind of go a little deeper, deeper in their spiritual journey. I was up in Portland this week actually meeting with Patty McCoy and Dave Ferguson as we were putting together the series guide for, um, for the invitation because what we really want it to do, we want it to be a tool that you can use to study with someone and help bring them to a decision for Christ. Now, understand this. I don't want to be putting pressure on you like, oh, I got to bring somebody. No, you just have to be open to the guiding of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit to spend some time with someone and, and perhaps, you know, the conversation comes up. And so we let the Holy Spirit lead in that, but we want to make sure that we've created all the resources that you might need so that you can study with someone if you want to. And then I think it would be the coolest thing. We've had this happen before when we've done this. Um, people in the tank with the people that they've studied with as we baptize them. It's just really an exciting moment. And so we'd love to have that. So just pray, pray that God puts somebody kind of in, in your way, in your path that you have an opportunity to work with. Um, and now uh, we are in this second week of the new wine series. And if you remember, we talked about the four elements 
Um, particularly in this specific text, this specific kind of metaphor that Jesus is using, there's old wine, there's old wineskins, there's new wine, and there's new wineskins. And so those are the four things that we're kind of leaning into and talking about. And we're going to mix a bunch of metaphors today because Jesus did that sometimes as well. But the first question we have to ask ourselves is this, why do we want to put old wine into new wineskin? Right? And it's, it's fascinating. When people come here, I've mentioned this a little bit, when people come here, they want to know what we're doing and how we're doing it. But it's always the wrong question. They always want to know how the lights work, how the sound works, you know, how we're doing our online stuff. And that's all great, and we can give that information. But they're not actually asking about what goes into that wine. It's all wineskin questions. It's all, how do you put this package together? And, you know, we're pretty good at it. You know, praise God. We've worked really hard and we've grown and we've got this amazing team that puts this really phenomenal wineskin together. But the truth is this, new wineskins are only important because of the new wine that we put in them. And so there has to be a message that's somehow different, somehow new, with a new emphasis, a new, a new goal, new purpose, and a new allegiance. If that's not there, then what we're doing is we're just kind of, you know, we're, um, I'm not going to use that metaphor um, that I had in my head, um, which would be funnier if you were in my head. But um, in Hebrew thought, the idea of a new wineskin would also be um, the idea that there's a new heart to this whole thing. And there's this text in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 26, that says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Right now, this comes in a section of Ezekiel. I don't know how familiar you are with Ezekiel. You're probably very familiar. You probably memorized most of it. But um, um, it comes from the section in Ezekiel that speaks of the restoration of the children of Israel back to their place. Right? And there's seven elements that are involved in this restoration. He promises them their land. He promises to cleanse them from idolatry. He then promises to give them a new heart. That's the third one. Then promises that the spirit will move them to follow. Then he promises that the people will live in the land that they've been given. So they're given a new land. Now number five is that the people will live there. Number six is that God promises them a new level of productivity in the land, like they're going to be better farmers than they ever have been before. They're going to be better family people. They're going to be better, better government, like it's going to be better than it ever has been before. And then number seven, it says in that they will remember their mistakes and they will loathe those mistakes due to their brand new heart. So as I studied this text, and I thought it was fascinating, a new heart is really at the heart of the text, right in the middle, after being cleansed and before they follow God's spirit. And while this is in the First Testament, in the Old Testament, it's a foreshadowing of the gift of a new heart that comes to us through Christ. You see, Christ has been condescending since the very beginning, since the fall of humanity. God has been condescending. He's been coming down to earth in order to chase his people. Through the covenants and then ultimately through Jesus, we see the culmination of a God who is chasing after his people to give them new hearts, to give them new wine, to give them a new spirit. Because we don't have to live with the old wine and the old heart anymore. You know that, right? You don't have to. So you gotta ask yourself this question. Has your heart become stony? Has it become hardened? Because we harden our hearts against things. You know that, right? 
it, we harden our heart against somebody who's hurt us, right? And we're like, we're never going to get hurt again. We harden our heart against church because we've been hurt at church and there's trauma involved in that sometimes. And so we're like, I will never be hurt again. I may go, but I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to give my heart over. We harden our heart against God because we're not really sure where that's supposed to be or we feel like God has somehow failed us at times. I mean, do you have a heart of stone? And does your religion, that vinegary, vinegary old wine, make your heart like that old wineskin? Does it make it like a heart of stone? Does it make it brittle, dry, and cracked? And by the way, have you become comfortable with that burden? Because a stony heart is a burden. Um, I've mentioned this before. I, when I was in graduate school, I, um, I got a job doing landscaping with a buddy of mine. And in Michigan, when you do landscaping, it means you lay sod, right? You tear out old grass and put in new grass. In California, you're like, oh, tear out the grass and put in rocks. Um, <clears throat> in Michigan, they're like, oh, tear out the grass, take all the rocks, and then put in grass, right? Which seems reasonable. Um, but what we would do is we would tear out all the old sod and then we have to move all the rocks because if you just lay the new sod over the old rocks, you're just walking on stony ground. Like it's very uncomfortable. But it's amazing kind of what we can normalize, right? If we didn't move those stones, the grass wouldn't grow. So we spent a lot of time moving the burden of those stones. What is incredible to me is that it's incredible what we can normalize and grow comfortable with. Have you ever sold a home? Actually, nix that. Have you ever decided to sell a home? When you decide to sell a home, you walk into your house with completely different eyeballs. All of a sudden, you look around at all the stuff you got to fix. Stuff that you could have fixed a long time ago. And you should have. But you just didn't bother with it. Because you can plug that appliance down to the bottom outlet because the top one doesn't work anymore for some reason. And you don't know why. And then you switch it out and it takes like four minutes. And you're like, what? You know, your wife's looking at you like, seriously, man, you could have done that a long time ago. You're like, yeah, I'm very talented. <laughs> but we normalize less than. We normalize a stony heart. We normalize a vinegary religion. We normalize all these things. And it's fascinating because what we become actually what we normalize. We become what we sit still for. We, we become what we play along with. We, we become what we abide, even as we hold on to what we have or what we think we have. If you took stock of your life and you asked this question, what have you normalized in your life that if you looked upon with a new heart would baffle you? If we all did this, you've normalized relationships that are toxic because, well, that's just the way they are. You've normalized a religion that brings no joy, no freedom, no hope, because I guess that's the way it is. We've normalized, I mean, let's take stock of our lives and see. We've normalized in our culture, a culture of toxic communication that we somehow now think is fine. Friends, we're about to go into an election year and nobody decided to get kind in 2024. Everybody decided to lose weight. Nobody decided we're going to be nicer to each other when we talk online. That's not happening. We've normalized that. 
We've normalized behavior of leaders. We've normalized our own values. We've normalized everything and said it's fine. It's good enough. We become what we normalize. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to put a new heart in you and get rid of that heart of stone. You don't have to live with that burden anymore. I'm going to take that out and put a, a fleshy heart that's flexible and pliable and moves. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you can follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. A new heart comes with a new spirit that galvanizes our ability to obey God's commandments. And you know what God commands us to do, right? To love one another. In case you're unclear on what the greatest commandment is. Love God and love one another. The truth is this. Our love becomes better with a new heart. Our love becomes better with new wine. That means there is a new spirit of grace, a new spirit of forgiveness, a new spirit of mercy. And this will be seen in the way that we love one another, not in the way that we protect old wineskins. So what do you do with an old wineskin? Right? What should you do with an old wineskin? And let's say we're going along with the metaphor that Jesus put together, that you know, old, old wineskins are that old religion that can't handle the new wine. Right? Do we throw out all traditions? Do we throw out the denomination? Everything that held the old wine? Do we tear down all those structures? I mean, how do you redeem old wineskins? How do you redeem them? Let's look at the text again. We're reading from Matthew this time, not from Luke. It says, you know, we start a little early. It says, besides, who would patch old clothing with an old cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And remember, Jesus says in Luke, and then it wouldn't even match. Now to the wine text. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins, so they both are preserved. We can't put new ideas into old mindsets. We can't get new results from old behaviors. But what if, what if the wineskin could be refreshed? What if we could take that old wineskin and make it into something new? What if we could refresh the old wineskin to accommodate new wine? What is the process? I'm going to get to that in a second. Now, I'm going to stop here and put a little like parenthetical statement. Um, this, what I'm about to do is going to preach really well. I'm going to tell you, like it's really good. Um, and I'm not saying that because I'm so smart. I'm just saying it's a really good piece. And I was really excited for it. Um, there's a problem. It's not what Jesus said. Like, not at all. You see, when Jesus said new wine, new wineskin, he used two different Greek words. He used neo, like from the matrix, if you need context. He used neo, which is new. But neo is new in this way, not having long been, right? So it's new. It hasn't been around for very long. So it's new in that respect, new wine. Then he uses, when he talks about wineskin, kainos, which is not yet having been. So this is brand new. And sorry, I got that wrong. It's the new wineskin is neo, new wineskin, and new wine is kainos, not ever having been before. It's brand new, right? And I love the idea that we refresh this old wineskin, but Jesus when he spoke of this, wasn't talking about refreshing his old religion. 
He was talking about something brand new. Are you with me on this? Okay, I'm about to talk about refreshing old wineskins. But Jesus was not talking about refreshing old wineskins. I'm going to tie it all together, so stay with me. Do you know how you refresh old wineskins? Anybody here an expert on wineskins? No? Probably not. Um, This is how you refresh old wineskins, with water and oil. And what you have to do is you have to take the old wineskin and you have to shove it in water. You have to completely submerge it in water and get it really wet and get it really pliable again. You have to submerge the old and cracked wineskin in water. Then you have to take it out, let it dry a little bit, and you have to work oil into it again and again and again. And then you have to start the process again until it will hold water again. That's what you have to do. It takes a long time. You have to work in the oil. You have to repeat the process again and again until the wineskin is renewed and refreshed. If we were talking about our old religion as an old wineskin, what would we need to submerge it in and what would we need to to work into that old wineskin in order for it to be refreshed? And it's not water and oil, it's word and spirit. So what if we exchanged water water and oil for word and spirit? How can an old wineskin be submerged into the word of God? Not tradition, not commentary, but the actual word of God. And how can that old wineskin then be allowed to let the spirit be worked into every single piece of it? The truth is this, without the word and the spirit, the new wine will be lost. And if we are not allowing the word to do a good work in our hearts and the spirit to guide our decisions both personally and corporately, the new wine will will just leak out of the cracks and it will be lost to us. And this should scare us. To lose the new wine, to lose the gospel as good news, to lose present truth and the reinvigoration of the spirit in order to protect or defend the old wineskin should terrify us. That yesterday would keep us from what God has for us today and tomorrow means that we have made an idol out of tradition or out of an organization, and we have lost the will to be disciples of Jesus Christ any longer. So we got to ask this question. Is it worth it to refresh the old wineskin? It's hard work. It takes amazing amount of focus, material, process, and growth. It's a good question. It takes people who are willing to let go of position for mission. It means that we have to break systems that hamper the work of the Spirit in the world. It means we have to look into the future to see where God is already working. Now, here's the thing. In the context of Jesus and the state of the Jewish nation at the time, it seems that Jesus thought that new wineskins were needed for the new wine that he brought with his incarnation, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection rather than refreshing the old. Now, why did Jesus think he needed new wineskins rather than refreshing the old? It's pretty simple. Faith and politics have become intertwined with economics and national identity. So you weren't just Jew by faith. You were by economic, by national identity, by the politics of it. Jesus turned over tables Because the economics that they were believing in put a block between God and his people. This is why the the curtain was torn. 
He struggled with the mixture of politics and religion the Pharisees were expressing. And we have to understand that sometimes systems become unredeemable. You cannot fix them because they are so ingrained and something new needs to be made. When this happens, new wine and new wineskins are completely needed. New hearts and new spirits, new expressions of faith are demanded and are set up by God. So what does that mean for us today? Let me tie all this together. It means that we have to decide if we are following Christ or if we have an allegiance to something else. Are we able to receive new wine and are we willing to accept new wineskins or are we going to protect the old because it's fine or, there's a lot of oars here, are we going to try to refresh the old wineskin to make it fresh again? I get asked this question a lot. And nobody asked me about old wineskins. That's not, let me frame the question. The question I get asked a lot is, oh, is Crosswalk a Seventh-day Adventist church? And the answer is yes. And then I get asked the question, are you planning on leaving? The answer to that is no. I believe that the system that we come from actually can be refreshed. Some of you have come from churches that you know are old wineskins, that are broken, that are brittle, and that cause damage to you. You know they're not preaching new wine. And that's why you're here, because you found something different. But I believe that this tradition that we come from, this wineskin, I actually believe it can be refreshed. But I also believe it's going to take a lot of work. And it's going to take an incredible amount of focus, purpose, and love from you people. From us. That sounded kind of standoffish. <laughs> From all of us. Every time we've tried to do something new and be really a new wine church, the church has expanded and created room for us. Every time we've tried to plant a church somewhere else or do something new, the church has said, yeah, we want that. We want to be refreshed. We want to be renewed. And they've allowed us to be part of that process. I'm so grateful for it. But I say this knowing that if God decides that there should be a new wine, oh, there's too many wines and wineskins. Let me say that again. If God decides that there should be a new wineskin, God will let us know that. It's not going to be something that I create. And right now, I believe God has said, do whatever you can to redeem the wineskin. And so we're going to do that. We're going to stay here and we're going to do the hard work of submerging ourselves in Scripture. We're going to do the incredibly hard work of making sure that the Holy Spirit is worked into every aspect of what we do so that we can help refresh so that this wineskin that we come from actually can hold the new wine of Jesus. That's the corporate commitment that we've made. But now we got to ask this question. How are we becoming new wineskins, refreshed wineskins? What are we doing in our lives to be able to receive the new wine that Christ has for us to follow the spirit? And can we even accept the new wine? Or are we brittle and broken enough? Are we dried up and inflexible enough that it's going to leak out of us? And I know there's two things. And I told you we're going to talk about two things this whole series. One is the corporate understanding of this text and what it means for us as a church. And the other one is the personal understanding of what it means to us as a person of faith. 
You see, it's easy to say, well, let's just be done with the old because we've got something new now. But remember, Jesus was dealing with leaving a faith tradition that was so intermingled with everything else that was going on, it needed a brand new wineskin. But we come from Christianity. We actually come from the new wine. Now, we, we rediscover it often again because it's easy for us as we get older, as organizations get older, it's really easy for us to become so structured, not just structured, to become so sure that the way we've done something for so long is sacred that it can never change. But you know what keeps me here? This idea of present truth that's been, man, in the DNA of the Seventh-day Adventist church from the very beginning, that God is still illuminating who he is to us. He's still revealing who he is. He's still telling us, and we're still growing and learning. And the church should be a place where we can continue to do that with wisdom and thoughtfulness, with peer review, with the ability to hold one another accountable. And it's a lot, right? It's a lot we have to think about. So I think about new wine for myself and new wineskins for myself. Am I becoming that new wineskin that can take that new wine that Jesus has for me? I think about it for the church, right here, crosswalk, all our other crosswalks. And I think about it for our denomination. And sometimes it's a lot. Honestly, sometimes it's a lot. And I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to be doing. When I get to that point where it feels overwhelming, when I get to that point where it feels like, man, I'm not sure which way I should go. I'm not sure which way I should lead. I'm not sure which way personally I should understand all of this. I go back to a pretty simple text that says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Apparently my job is to make sure that I speak the name of Jesus, not only with reverence, but with the excitement that that name brings. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, this text, this is the one that gets me, I think. That I am to live my life in a way that heaven moves closer, in a way that heaven is brought here to earth in a way that people understand God more fully and completely because of the way I chose to live my life and the values that I chose to express into the world and the community that I chose to be a part of. And then it leans into the idea that God is our sustenance for it says, give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. There's an assumption. The part of the foundation of who you are as a Christian is a forgiving person. Moving relationships to a place of health. And don't let us yield into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. You know, we encounter this text when we're young and it's rote memorization, right? We say it in church, we say it in Sabbath school. Most of us learn it in the King James Version, I think. Um, but Jesus always says, listen, when it becomes overwhelming, when it becomes too much, when, you, when you're not sure what to do, pray this prayer. 
that God would have sovereignty over your life, that your life would be an expression of heaven and how heaven can be present and real on earth because of the choices that you make and the way that you choose to communicate and the people that you choose to be with, which by the way, is not just the good ones. Because this also reminds us that where things are harshest, where things are the worst, that's where we need to be to bring heaven to them. Because God is already there working to, ex- to create a space for you. For thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. We come together once a week on Sabbath to practice our eternity together. We do this so earth may look a little bit more like heaven. I spoke of the metaphor before of the house and how you look at it with new eyes. But when you're given a new heart, when you're given new wine, you've got to look at this earth with the eyes of someone who's about to let new people move into it. Recognize what you've normalized and what needs to be fixed. And then ask heaven to come quickly so that earth and heaven may be as one. I know we mixed a lot of metaphors today. Get that. But I hope you understand the meaning. I believe that God has called us to be a refresher to the wineskin that we were given. I also believe there are times when God gives new wine, new wineskins. We're gonna follow Christ wherever he calls us to. Not going anywhere. We're looking forward to the new hearts that Ezekiel speaks about so that we can do the work that God called us and be productive in the land that God gives us. And lastly, I guess this. We all have to decide who our overall allegiance is to. And it's gotta be Christ if we take the name Christian. That's gotta be where it starts. Everything else falls into place. Not easily, not quickly, not in the way we would like it to, but everything falls into place. I believe that, I've seen that. Even in the midst of struggle, I've seen peace because of Christ. And so today, Just be ready to receive the new heart that Christ has for you to help refresh you and renew you so that you can be ready for the new wine that Jesus has for you as well. And when that's the way we live our lives, then it is like a fresh wind blowing through, taking out the old, bringing in the new, and reminding us of how good God is. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, we've prayed your prayer, but we want to make sure that you own our hearts as well, that these words are not just words that we say, not just things that we memorize, but the deepest desire of our hearts that what happens here on earth may be a direct reflection of what happens in heaven. And Lord, from the story, we know what happens in heaven. 
you look at us and you love us so much that you're willing to come down here. So Lord, may we have that same sort of sacrificial love. And God, may we accept what you have for us. Mold us, shape us, grow us. Work your Holy Spirit into us so that we may be ready for your new wine. In your name I pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.